have a disclaimer for this one, junkies. During Sean's segment, the boys watch a collection of intros to TV shows from the year 2000. The boys see one that looks familiar, but they don't know where they recognize it from. Eagle-eared listeners may spot why. That's because they're both senile. They watched this very same collection of intros a few years ago on a junk food desserts episode. Please feel free to laugh at them. What a day, hmm? You look lonely. I can fix that. You look like a good show. Junk food supper. 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 Welcome to Junk Food Supper. This is the podcast where we get together pretty much every. Oh wait, hold on, wait. Before we start, how did I sound on the last episode? I meant to ask you because my waves were a little small. Oh, I think it was fine. I, I didn't notice anything weird. I, I did run it through Levelator, but after okay. that, it seemed fine. Okay, I was like kind of anxious the whole time because my waves were like really tiny, and I don't have that uh, program that I use to like even everything out anymore. Cause I, but okay, all right. <clears throat> yeah, the, the the wave files you can still levelate them, so I would recommend okay. doing it. Okay, Anyways. yeah, I always do, but yeah, okay. Just curious, and especially after that Kevin stuff. After the debacle. Yeah, the debacle. Okay. Welcome to Junk Food Supper. This is the podcast where pretty much every week we get together to talk about crazy movies that you might find on cable TV, the video stores, your theater, um, your Blu-ray shelf, things like that. Uh, I'm Parker, joined as always by Sean in Los Angeles, a.k.a. by the time you hear this, probably Japan. Uh, how are you doing, Sean? Um, ha- are you going to stay in Japan forever because it's not flooded or going into a war with 800 other countries or anything like that? Is that your plan? You know, it, it really all hinges on whether or not Taylor Swift makes the same decision. If she chooses to stay in Tokyo, <laughs> I'll be there alongside her, you know? That's perfectly reasonable. Very strange that that's become a huge news story this week, her show at Tokyo Dome, especially considering it's the same day I'm going to be right next door at Karakan Hall watching a bunch of old-ass pro wrestlers from the 90s try and, you know, muster up a, a lariat in ring. Hopefully I don't have to, uh, you know, navigate too much, you know, Taylor Swift-related crowd action to get there. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, you know... uh why not just try to combine these two pastimes? Why not try to get some of those wrestlers, tell the wrestlers to just fight their way through the audience outside and into the Taylor Swift concert. Try to combine both these pastimes into one. You want to see Keiji Muto give a shining wizard to Taylor Swift is what you're saying, or or maybe just one of her backup band members. I think that that would be preferable. Yeah. I've never seen Taylor Swift get the green mist. But I think oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a high time, you know? How would she respond to it? You know, would she no sell it and be like, this is just like food coloring, what the fuck? Or, 
you know, is she going to, you know, give Muto his props and, and sell the hell out of it? Yeah. I don't really like Taylor Swift is a huge star, but like she has respect for the Japanese. So I think that she would put Muto over. Like, I think she would, she would, she would let him pin her in front of a big crowd like that. A Japanese crowd. She knows. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, she if she wants like to get team. booked in the main event in Japan again, she will. <laughs> Yeah, if she doesn't want Giant Baba to come out and uh, stretch her legs, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stretch her out, painful. Yeah, exactly. Kawada and, and some Yakuza members show up and take care of business, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no, that that is true. I'm, I will be going to the land of the rising sun yet again. I, I guess I can't get enough of that place. Um, and the clock is ticking, but I did find time before you know this trip and before this episode to do something very important which is i watched the millie vanilli documentary on showtime you see that thing yet (laughs) no i i I didn't even think those guys were interesting back in the 90s when they got busted much less now why why is this happening why did somebody make this and why did you watch this it turns out it's kind of interesting what happened there and kind of the whole backstory about how that came to be and who these guys were and you know, as you might imagine, there's maybe more exploitation going on there, you know, in this story that revolves around the music industry, you know, big surprise. Mm-hmm. But um, I thought it was pretty good. I would totally recommend it. I mean, if you obviously you remember the incident, anybody our mm-hmm. age remembers it. Um, yeah, I thought it was pretty fascinating. And then my wife had no idea about any of that, you know, because she didn't grow up here. She didn't know about Millie Vanilli. And even she thought it was really interesting. So maybe even for younger people who who missed out on the whole Millie Vanilli craze. I think uh, this documentary is pretty good. Okay. I might, I might check that out. I, um, this isn't an original idea. I, I feel like I've seen somebody tweet this, but it is wild kind of how ahead, I mean, ahead of their time these guys were. Cause like now people on TikTok get paid like billions of dollars to do these, vi- like these videos where they just lip sync, you know, like that's like an, a valid way to, get famous and like be applauded by your peers nowadays. So it is sad that their entire careers were ruined for doing it when if they were just born 30 years later, they'd be huge TikTok stars. Yeah, totally. Well, and also in the documentary, they kind of point out that this was not a new phenomenon that in fact, a lot of the big disco acts of the seventies were completely limp uh, lip sync. The people that you would see on stage were not on the record whatsoever and one of the biggest examples of that was a group of Boney M produced by the same guy that produced Millie Vanilli. And back then in the seventies, it just seemed like nobody really cared or whatever. But I guess by the time we get to the mid to late eighties, it's, you know, or maybe it's just that they got a Grammy is probably where things went wrong for them. But yeah, people yeah. were really upset all of a sudden about lip syncing. Yeah. It was like, I feel like, yeah, just a few short years afterwards or maybe this was even around the same time but like the lady from cnc music factory like she was like a big lady like if i remember correctly who like sang all like in the background of all their songs like or at least the one popular song and they replaced her in the video with like a a very in shape uh yeah you know lady so like that's kind of the same thing and they didn't get in trouble for that yeah, well, and it's the same kind of thing here with Millie Vanilli, where it's, you know, you got these two handsome guys with, you know, tons of muscles. If you check out the dudes that actually sang those songs, great singers, but they ain't got six packs, you know what I mean? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. What a, so, yeah, yeah, worth a watch, you know? Okay. I, I was surprised. I, you know, I, I put it on not thinking that I would enjoy it that much, but I, I thought it was pretty cool. I'm intrigued now. I think maybe I will watch it. What have you been watching and or what have you been up to this past week? Um, I haven't been watching too much stuff. Uh, I've been, well, I've been rewatching Dexter, the, the most wonderful TV show ever created. Um, except for Buffy, Dexter Jetster you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. That's been off of, uh, the, the fifties diner owner from attack of the clones. Yeah. Uh, what a stupid star Wars character that was. I mean, he's probably like one of the best ones now by comparison. Because they've like introduced all these other shitty characters, but a guy, a big, a big Italian alien who owns a fifties diner, uh, what a concept! But um, I saw they're, no, they're they're really going for it now in terms of trying to milk that cash cow, and and they're making a Mandalorian movie. That's that's the big that, new news, right? Why it's it's a TV show? Why why make wow. a movie out of it? There's already no story. That's why they. I mean, that's how they can produce it on TV. It's like just a guy walking around the desert, basically. People need that Baby Yoda collectible popcorn tin. You know what I mean? I guess so. Well, I mean, I guess when your flagship trilogy bombs so hard, I guess, yeah, you have to clutch onto anything you can when you're Star Wars at this point. Yeah, well, and, and Marvel is tanking as well. So I'm sure Disney is like, well, what, what do people still like from us? It seems like they still like Baby Yoda. Maybe let's try. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. I think Baby Yoda's all they got left. Yeah, I mean, now that now that Mickey Mouse is making low budget horror movies, you know what I mean? Yeah, I can't wait to see that. Like, I always see people in like these groups. Like, I mean, like all these Facebook groups where like people fight about things all the time, and people always talk about like, oh, you know, it's like, and I don't, know, I don't know necessarily know where I stand on the issue, but like people are always like, oh, it's so great that Mickey Mouse is in the public domain now. And people can use it for things. But it's like all these things ever get used for is like full moon makes a horror movie out of it. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's yeah. it. Like nothing really changes. Like, I yeah, I mean, I at best you get like a try hard social commentary from a guy like Ron English or something where suddenly Mickey Mouse is smoking cigarettes or something subversive. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, yeah, all right, I, who cares? Yeah, I mean, it's like, now that this is in public domain, it's not like Miramax is going to do like a thrilling drama starring Steamboat Willie or something like that. It's like it's nobody's going to pick this up except for like weirdos who are going to make like student films and stuff, basically. Yeah. Donald Duck's not going to show up as a protagonist in the next Scream film, as cool <laughs> as that would be. Yeah. Oh, that actually would be pretty cool. I would like that very much. Yeah. Well, when he calls you on the phone, his voice is a dead giveaway, so... <laughs> true um but yeah but yeah i've been watching dexter again it's a it's a very good show uh it's i on never Showtime. watched it i should i should stop watching these millie vanilli docs and switch over to dexter <laughs> i think you might like it there's actually season one of dexter there's some stuff that kind of reminds me of what's going on in season three of twin peaks actually with with some of the, the horrific murders and things like that um so it's kind of Kind of odd to be rewatching that while we're rewatching Twin Peaks because in some ways they're similar, very tonally different. But I like David Lynch. I I love him. I love the guy. Everybody knows that about me. I've always loved him. 
can't stop drawing connections back to his work. Everything you see, you see now through a David Lynch lens. That's true. Uh, the movie we're going to be talking about later, there's some David Lynch connections there as well. Foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah perhaps. Um, but yeah, that's all I've been been doing. I've, re-watched, I've watched like the first six seasons of that show like in the last two weeks or something. It's, it's a pretty good show. Sounds pretty exciting. Yeah. Well, it's been it's been raining here for like two weeks, so I haven't been able to like go go outside. Not that I would go outside anyway, I guess. There's nothing out there for me. But yeah, I've just been inside sitting around. So Well, you have to imagine the water levels over at the Surf Ranch are at an all time high though, and that's good news <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> well, it's good news for the cast of the Avengers, because it seems like they're the only people who can afford to go there. Oh damn. We always get news tips like, oh my, we, we saw Chris Hemsworth in town. He, he was at Dairy Queen. Go do a news story about this. On his way to the surf ranch. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, hang out. Well, you know what? When you're one of the few surf ranches on the western seaboard, you get a lot of, you know, action. It's not much competition. Well, I, think it, I think it's the only one out here. Well, you, you haven't seen my backyard this week. <laughs> you and the cats are just out back hanging ten. Yeah, I mean it's it's mostly uh, boogie board action, but I you know I'm I'm proud of what we've constructed back there. Me and the cats. Okay, are the cats safe? Uh, debatably, there, there's one of them <laughs> that we're still trying to locate. <laughs> no. Yeah, Junior's had a rough week, so uh, hopefully uh, he's doing well. Well, I'm sorry to hear it. Yeah, that's you know it's tough managing a herd of feral cats outside. <laughs> I would imagine it's so dangerous out there with all the possums and coyotes and things, and now floods. To be honest, it's mostly each other that pose the most danger. <laughs> These motherfuckers just love to fight, so they're always scratching each other's faces and they're bleeding up a storm all over my back patio. They're Irish cats, I guess so. The Irish love to fight. That's what I hear. <laughs> That's mostly, yeah. I hear that from like Simpsons episodes and stuff. I guess I don't really know for sure. I think it's true, you know? That's, yeah. that's why we didn't allow them in our businesses, you know, circa 1900. <laughs> they had that's to why use they the were only allowed to be cops. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, well, speaking of making sense, I thought for a segment this week we would try and make sense of uh, one of these little compilation videos from my good friend RWDT09, in which he compiles a whole bunch of TV show intros from a specific time, sometimes a specific place. And in this case, it's 31 new shows of Fall TV 2000. Does that mm-hmm. sound exciting to you? It does. Uh, this was a quarter of a century ago. I know. Hard that- to believe <laughs> that it's been that long. Um, yeah. you I know, just melted first, away into dust. Yeah. This is a, a fairly recent, a recent-ish, I guess it's a year old now, video from RWDT09. But I was going through his videos trying to f- find one that we hadn't done yet. And at first I was like, well, year 2000, like that feels too recent. Is this going to be interesting at all to go back? 
And then, it, I mean, it struck me right away. Oh, shit. Well, it's been fucking 25 years almost. So it's, it's not that recent. Um, but I remember that this is a time period where I barely watched any TV. I had just moved out to Los Angeles like six months prior. Um, was watching a lot of DVDs. Like that was like the first time in my life that I had like ready access to a DVD player. And my roommate had a ton of DVDs, so it was really more of a movie time for me than than uh, TV. But I'm curious to see what the hell was going on back then. Yeah, I kind of yeah. I don't think I was watching a lot of TV at this point. I think maybe I had just moved out into like a a weird punk rock house with a bunch of other weirdos, and yeah, I don't think I was watching TV at this time, but. But I guess we'll see once we see what shows are on this. Maybe I yeah, watched we'll all the shows. Yeah. So it's 18 and a half minutes. Uh, you can either listen along or if you want to watch along, go check it out on YouTube. 31 new shows of Fall TV 2000. Uh, but without further ado, I guess we'll start on the count of three. And and what I mean by that is that I'll do three, two, one. I'm going to take a beat and then I'm going to hit play. I'm not going to say anything on that beat, though. It's just going to be three, two, one, beat. And in that beat, I'm hitting play at the end of the beat. Perfect. All right. So here we go. Three, two, one. And we're playing. Oh, and it's very loud to begin with. Yeah. I had to turn it way down. We got freaky links coming in with the volume. Yeah. I remember this show vaguely. I don't think I ever watched it. It's got Ethan Embry, though. The guy who uh, pains me. He's a curse to me because he's the guy from Empire Records that really likes Guar. So I always get people who are like, oh, Parker, you must really like Empire Records because Guar is in it. They're your favorite band. And that movie sucks. So Ethan Embry's my enemy. Was Freaky Links like a, it looks like a dark web kind of a thing or something, but I don't know what the hell's going on in the year 2000. That's weird. Yeah. I think it was like the X-Files, but like they would like, just hunt down like links on like a uh, style project or something, you know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think it was like that. They're dialing up Usenet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got some kind of a text scroll here, a la Star Wars, except it's about riots and the penal code and yeah. the American flag. There's like some um, real QAnon stuff. Yeah, I don't know what the hell this is, but I feel like I am still on the dark web. Mm-hmm. Maybe we clicked on one of those freaky links to get to this. <laughs> Freedom is the show, it, it appears. This looks like an oh. alias kind of a thing, maybe. Oh, starring that guy from Mindhunter and all those Fincher movies. I like that oh, guy. And, and Scarlett Shorvart. We all know her. Mm-hmm. This yeah. looks very I high octane. These... Oh, we got Bodie Elfman. We got a lot of uh, kickboxing. Yeah. It's very sad that like all these like weird, I assume this was like a syndicated TV show. I can't imagine this was on an actual network, but it's sad that a lot of these are like just kind of lost to time. Like, yeah. A lot of these shows will just never be seen by another human being ever again. Yeah. They're not Level streaming. for sci-fi. <clears throat> I feel like sci-fi originals like this probably have a better shot at being accessible. But it's that stuff where it's like made 
by just one random studio for another network to air. And then it only got run for a season or whatever. Like that stuff just all gets lost. Yeah. And like, yeah, especially like in like 2000, like TV shows probably weren't yet getting DVD uh, treatments. And so, yeah, like nobody's going to bother to stream any of this stuff. So it's just kind of gone. That level nine looked kind of like another freaky links to me. Yeah. I have a feeling all these shows are going to look pretty similar. Well, we've got Dark Angel premiering in the year 2000. This is a show that I watched a, a decent amount of, not all of it, but a good chunk of it. And I enjoyed it. It you know, had fun kind of James Bondy spy action type stuff, but with uh, a foxy lady and, and Jess Alba. Yeah, I remember this being on. I watched it a few times. I really liked her. I think Idle Hands came out shortly before this, so I was like a big Jessica Alba fan. Uh, but I, I didn't watch it too much. Wow, CSI, the original, premiered in fall of 2000. I've never actually seen this show, really. I've, I've walked by it in airports and stuff like this, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> That's the main place they show this show is airports. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, had a girlfriend who really liked this show. So I watched probably every episode of this show one summer. Um, it's pretty all right. I don't know. I like the main guy. He was in Manhunter, the Michael Mann movie, which is really good that we're going to watch on the show one day. How often does the plot revolve around freaky links? <laughs> Quite often. Now, I feel like we've seen this clip before, haven't we? We've I think so, yeah. Burlesque Godzilla dancers on stage dancing to Blue Oyster Cult yeah, in Las I think, Vegas. I think Kevin made us watch this one time for some reason. Because this is very Kevin y. Like now where there's like gorilla men dancing. <laughs> yeah. It's like rock and roll and Godzillas and gorilla men. I forget this how is... we found this, but yeah, we did all watch this for some reason. Like in between segments one time. Maybe it was like when we were going to Vegas, like Kevin was asking if we could go see this show. <laughs> I think so. We had to, you know, break the difficult news to him that this is a fictional show from a TV show 25 <laughs> years ago. Broke his heart. That's why the meetup is going to be in uh, Cincinnati this year. Why he's, <laughs> he, he's not going to come back to Las Vegas after hearing that. I hate to tell him there's even less of a chance of this show happening in Cincinnati. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I mean, I, I guess we don't have a real intro for whatever show this is. And so our RW had to use this instead, but I'm curious to know what this show is starring Nikki Cox. Yeah. Well, Nikki Cox is famous enough that it's probably findable. Yeah, just what look that, up, yeah, year 2000, Nikki Cox, you'll find it. But yeah. we've already moved on. We've got Gina Davis, it looks like. Yeah. And I would hate Gina to Davis watch the show. This is the worst fucking intro I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like Gina, Gina Davis? Davis, like, it was just like a soft focus Gina Davis in a room with a lot of natural lighting, like spinning around and like looking happy. Like, why? Wow. I would this hate is... to watch that. 15 years after Beetlejuice, she's insisting on that fo soft focus by now, but I think she's <laughs> true. still a foxy babe. Well, yeah. I'd take that over the Bette Midler show. Yeah. This I, is just I went through text. a phase. Yeah, this text is boring. 
I went through a phase in like when I was like 17 where I liked Bette Midler for like two months or something like that. Like I found like all this like weird like New York theater stuff she did. Uh, like they showed it on VH1 or something and I thought it was like really cool. So I really liked her for a minute. I went through a phase of like the first 15 years of my life where I couldn't tell the difference between Bette Midler and Barbara Streisand for some reason. <laughs> I just kept always mixing them up. Still sometimes yeah. I think I might do that. That's understandable. What do we got here? We got That's Life starring Heather Page Kent. Okay. And yeah, Ellen Burstyn. That's sounds a name like I there's recognize. a lot of Italian stereotypes in this show. Yeah. Disagreements <laughs> over pasta preparations, I would imagine. <laughs> Whether it should be called sauce or gravy, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, Debbie yeah. Mazar. Yeah, we got Debbie Mazar and Paul Sorvino. So yeah, this is definitely an Italian stereotype show. Yeah. This is the kind of show maybe you couldn't make anymore, I guess. Yeah. Well, actually, it's, it, you can always stereotype Italians. I don't think anybody gets mad about that. They're like the only ones left. We got Steven Weber and Cursed. Yeah. I vaguely remember this show. As a little kid, I was a wings man, so I followed Steven yeah. Weber. Likewise, on wings. But it looks like this has got, uh, what's his face? Chris Elliott. As Larry Heckman. This could not have lasted very long. I can't imagine, so what a weird show. Okay, we got old dudes. They're walking around. They look Irish. Gabriel yeah. Burns there. I think he's Irish, right? Yeah. This, yeah, this, oh yeah, there's a guy with a newsboy cap. Yeah, this is definitely an Irish stereotype show. You can't do this oh, these days. Yeah. Only Irish people wear newsboy caps, right? Unless you're an actual <laughs> newsboy. <laughs> I think that's true, yeah. Madigan men. Before even Mad Men, they had a parody of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. The Trouble with Normal, created by Victor Fresco. Well, that was a short one. Nothing really to say about it. We got yeah. David Allen <laughs> Greer. Yeah, in a show called Dag. I don't but remember it's not that. that Dag, I don't think. Yeah, a different Dag? Are there more than one Dag shows? There must be. These guys licensed a Foo Fighters song for their theme show i'm That's surprised that you were able to pull that so quickly i like those foo fighters this show has michael ian black what the hell is this and justin long it's a star-studded event here looks like we're in new england maybe i don't know or the midwest yeah ed i feel like i vaguely remember this show there was a point in time when i wasn't watching much tv where like People from the state were like showing up on stuff. Like, I think like Tom Lennon was doing like a, a the Odd Couple remake or something like this around this time. You like the Gilmore Girls? Never seen it. You a big fan? Uh, I've got I've got all the DVD box sets. I've only watched oh. a few episodes though. So uh, Jennifer likes it. Well, then she's got the box sets. Well, I got I own half the box sets legally. Really? Okay. You're going to litigate this in the uh, in the breakup someday. <laughs> yeah. 
If we get divorced, I'm getting seasons one through three. Special appearance by the stepdad from the Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I like that guy. Yeah. I think Sean Gunn was on that show. Like a lot of like James Gunn people and like uh, Joss Whedon people were on that show. I don't Boston think there's like Public. any connection. Oh, yeah. Now, this was a show that's deeply relatable to you. You went to this school growing up. You know, I was real disappointed when I first saw this show because I thought it was going to be about a public pool in in my hometown. <laughs> it's about some kind of a school, I guess. I don't know. I, I never saw this, actually. Uh, as I mentioned, I, I had just hightailed it out of, you know, being town. So I was not about to look back with this show. It's understandable. If I think was that a, William Shatner was on this show and won like oh, a ton yeah. of Emmys and awards. If there was a North Hollywood public at the time, I would have been all over it. With or without Five-ish Finkel. <laughs> I didn't know that was a real guy. I thought it was like a joke name. I know. <laughs> it's the kind of name that only like an old-timey baseball player should have, you know? <laughs> Yeah, like a guy with a big handlebar mustache. Yeah. Andre Brower, R.I.P. Ruben Blades. I have no idea what this show is. It looks like a pretty sober medical drama. Yeah. We've got... People dealing with stressful situations in this hospital. Yeah, oh, man, this stressful. guy, this guy's not going to take it anymore. He's throwing down his case files. <laughs> and now we got the district, of course, with Craig T. Nelson. Mm-hmm. I have no memory of this show. Nobody does. Some people have postulated that it was just created by uh, chat GPT. Yeah. I think we do run that risk now that people are going to start creating fake TV shows from the 80s and 90s and putting their intros on YouTube. And I'm going to think that they're real. Yeah. Yeah. There was actually a decent one for um, somebody made a Doc Hayward spin-off show from Twin Peaks, just like a little like intro for it, but it was very convincing and very funny. All right, we got a newsroom. Yeah. I feel like every time we do this where it's like all the new TV shows from such and such year, there's always one show about a newsroom. At least. Yeah, like, but they they all seem like they failed miserably because, like, we never remember any of them. So, like, people must not care about newsrooms. I know I don't. I feel like I work in one works, and I think they're boring. It only works in comedy form, right? You got Mary Tyler Moore and then Murphy Brown. I feel like those are the two times that it worked. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, yeah, it's like all these lame attempts. But yeah, I think we have discovered through this process that basically, you know, Hollywood makes four different TV shows and just gives it different names every year. You know, it's either a medical (laughs) drama or a cop drama or, you know, set in a school or, you know, it's very rare that you get a baseball player who's also a cop. 
things <laughs> like this that are really pushing boundaries. Yeah. That might have been what was going on with that Craig T. Nelson show a minute ago, though. Could be. Or maybe he was like a politician who was also a baseball player, maybe. He might have just really liked baseball, you know? The Fugitive on TV. I didn't know that was a series around this time. Yeah, me neither. I think this is the show. As you know, I just finished up uh, my watch of uh, Melrose Place, which was created by Darren Starr, who apparently did this show. I think this is the show that he left Melrose Place to do, and then it bombed miserably, and Melrose Place was like the biggest show of all time. Hmm. So, sucks which, to is, which is what? What's the title of this one? I forget. They're going to tell us in a second. But this cast fucking rules, so it's kind of crazy that this didn't do well. Jennifer Connelly and Giancarlo Esposito. And, oh, they're not going to tell us. Oh, they well, didn't I tell forgot. us. I think they told us at the beginning, but there was so much text <laughs> flashing. I got distracted. Yeah. Well, no way to ever know now. But I do know that yeah. this is gross point for whatever that's worth. That... Y- attractive young man's name was Al Santos, which seems like the kind of name that like a 56 year old guy would have <laughs> <laughs> and not like a 19 year old hunk. What is this show? Yes. It's about actors. I and guess. Da- yeah. Darren stars back. He produced this. So he was doing a lot of failures this year instead of doing, well, I guess maybe not. That might've not been the show I'm thinking of. Cause this was after Melrose place was off the air. I think he left in like season five or something, which would have been a couple years before this. So either way, bombs. He's making bombs still. Oh, man. This opening for the Titan. Pretty sexy stuff. Yasmin Bleeth, Casper Van Dien. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember Yasmin Bleeth from the hit movie Basketball. Oh, yeah. Just a few years prior to this. Mm-hmm. Ingo Rademacher? What a cool name. I mean, it's no five-ish Finkel. Well, true. Titans. Nobody ever heard of that show. Never once did I hear about that. Oh, Tucker. And Tucker's gone. Okay. (laughs) We're not going to get any information about Tucker. The Michael Richards show. Of course. Who yeah. could forget? Yeah, that was a pretty big bomb, if I remember correctly. Normal Ohio. Yeah. I think now, this is a real is what town. you were watching at this time. I must have been. I think Normal Ohio is a real town. I think it's by Columbus, but I might be wrong. I think there's also a Normal Illinois. Maybe I'm thinking about that. Maybe the town in Ohio has a different name. Maybe it's like regular Ohio or some shit. See, you just couldn't do this kind of an intro now for this show hype with these people dancing with CRT TVs on their heads because with a flat screen, it just wouldn't look that cool. That's true. I bet this is a sketch comedy show with this kind of an intro. It must be. And all of these people that we've never heard of that don't look exactly attractive enough to be on television otherwise. So they must be funny. I'm going to look that show up. 
at some point. It seems like a show you would like. It's, it's, well, it looked very like 1998. Which is it. up my alley. That's all. That's all that's of them. So yeah, you know, that's all she wrote. Do you think any of those were interesting? Would you be watching any of those? I got to be honest. I, I think I made the right choice in the year 2000, sticking to movies and DVDs and stuff. Because that, uh, I don't know. The only thing that I saw that prompted any interest was like, hey, I could probably go back and watch Dark Angel again. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Freaky up. Links, just because it would be fun to tell my friends I got real into Freaky Links. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Just be that guy, like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm the internet's authority on the show Freaky Links. Mm-hmm. I could probably I be that if, guy, right? Without too much effort, I could be that authority. That's probably true. I mean, I feel like I see a lot of like podcasts and stuff about like pretty obscure '80s and '90s TV shows, but I don't think I've ever seen a Freaky Links. So maybe, maybe once the Bookhouse Boys have wrapped up, we can become. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. masters of the freaky links. We might have to because it, it turns out there's there's more than a couple people on the internet already talking about Twin Peaks. And I, I don't <laughs> like that kind of competition, you know. <laughs> that is true. I've I've seen I've seen a couple people on the internet talk about it. Yeah, at least two, two other people. They love that Garmin Bosia. Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't? Well, that was fun. Yeah. Did you did like you uh, get enticed by anything other than uh, hype? Uh, not really, just hype and freaky links. I'm going to look those up later and see what the hell they were about. Yeah. All right, well, that was the year 2000. Yeah. Uh, but what's going on in the year 2024 with at least one voicemail caller? We've got a junk mail, two junk mails, oh. one man. Uh, this is Tom from Adelaide. He wants to say hello. Let's see what's going on with him. Hey guys, it's Tom. Uh, yeah, hope everything's going wonderfully well. And uh, yeah, basically, just calling to give you all my best wishes. Uh, I just had a 45th birthday party, and yeah, kind of messed up now. But you know, figured I should say hello to you. Cheers. Bye. Oh no, just guys being dudes. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Happy birthday. We were all saying it in the Discord, so if you're not in the Discord, you're missing things like uh Tom's birthday. So get in there. Um Yeah. You're not gonna find that on your Google calendar. You know what I mean? Even that fancy calendar with the cat hanging off the tree that you got plastered up on your refrigerator, you, you check the dates on there. Nowhere does it tell you it's Tom's birthday. So you've mm-hmm. got to come to the Discord for that. True. Uh, but this is why I love Tom. It's his birthday. He's getting drunk. He thinks about us. He thinks about calling us. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know what? I, I feel like we have formed kind of a close bond with our our uh, our friend down there, down under, Tom. I feel like he, I mean, he's almost like a, a, a I wouldn't say he's the fifth JFD member, but he's close. You know, he's, he's not a Stuart Sutcliffe, but he's, he's almost. <laughs> you can, well, that would be rusty, right? Wait, let me, is my math, is my math yeah, rusty? I guess, I guess rusty is the fifth. So Rusty's Tom, the fifth. I mean, you're kind of like the seventh I, I, and that's not bad, you know? Yeah. 
but we do have to leave that sixth open just for a TBD slot, you know, just as like yeah. a buffer, you know? <laughs> yep. Uh, Tom did call back though. Cause apparently he was enjoying his, his birthday too much that he had to call. Um, he's getting too wasted or too happy. So let's find out. Hey guys, it's Tom again. Um, yeah, 1983 was definitely the year for Cronenberg, man. Cause like, you know, video drone, one of my absolute all time favorites, um, was out there. And the dead zone was actually really good too. I've just watched it recently. Um, maybe like, you know, three weeks ago or so. And yeah, it's surprising how moving and sad it is for someone who generally is cold and clinical. That movie is weirdly emotional. Um, yeah, I love it. And uh, so I hope all is good. And take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you, Tom. And I agree. Yeah, last week we were talking about our favorite movies from from 83. Uh, I had The Dead Zone. You had Videodrome. Cronenberg uh, was busy that year. But, uh, but yeah, I agree that, that The Dead Zone is a very a very sad movie. Uh, the stuff that happens to Christopher Walken sort of near the beginning is uh, very sad. Very sad stuff indeed. Not as sad as the things that have happened to his face in the past few years based on that poster <laughs> that was posted on the Discord for the new Dune. He's, he does look like the old cat. Um, very, <laughs> he looks like a very old man now. It's very sad. Yeah. Um, I need to rewatch that Dead Zone. And I will, because I'm intrigued by everybody's enjoyment of it. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, well, that's all the voicemails. And I think that means that wraps it up for this segment. The first segment. Wow. We truly did it. Mm-hmm. If you would like to send a voicemail, do so by calling 347-746-JUNK. That's 347-746-5865. Uh, send an email at jfdpodcast at gmail.com uh, join us in the discord uh, meet us in Cincinnati in March at the Horror Hound convention at least most of us uh, will be there actually all of us all, all of us will be there you'll be there right John you're coming um no <laughs> my mistake I, I, I might. We'll see. I'm, I'm trying to make it happen, but it's, as I mentioned last week, things have just been kind of nutty for me this year, kind of wacky, kind of wild. And uh, I'm just not sure of anything at the moment, but I'm trying. But don't, I'm gonna I, send, don't hold it against me if I'm not there, you know? I'm going to send you gifts of like puppy dog eyes every single day. Okay. <laughs> just, you know, to entice you. Oh, for that reason. Or to guilt you. I don't know. Whichever works. Whichever emotion it, it pulls on. I think you, you would have a better chance sending me, you know, pictures of deep fried cheeses and sausages and stuff like this that I might find in Cincinnati. Yeah. Well, yeah. At the very least, I'm going to bring back like 75 cans of Skyline Chili. So either way, I'll, I'll bring you a can or two. So you'll be all right. I love it. That's what I need. That's what I crave. Mm -hmm. That's what we all crave. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about tonight's movie, Blade Runner 2049. So stick around. 
Every civilization was built off the back of a disposable workforce. But I can only make so many. Shh. Happy birthday. There is an order to things. That's what we do here. We keep order. The world is built on a wall that separates kind. Tell either side there's no wall. You bought a war. You're a cop. I had your job once. I was good at it. I know. What do you want? I want to ask you some questions. to the future is finally unearthed. Bring it to me. They know you're here. I always told you. You're special. Your story isn't over yet. There's still a page left. Welcome back to Junk Food Supper. The movie we're going to talk about tonight is Blade Runner 2049 from 2017. This is directed by my man, Denis Villeneuve. Uh, who also directed Arrival, which is a masterpiece. Enemy. Masterpiece. Um, I hear Prisoners is a masterpiece, but I haven't seen it yet. I hear all this French language stuff. Masterpiece. I haven't seen much of it. Also, he did Dune, which not a masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, Pe- people <laughs> people love it, I guess. I don't know. I think we're I the minority, I think. You, I, yeah, I think you may be wrong. Let's see what Letterboxd has it in. Letterboxd says, yeah, a lot of a lot of high marks here on Letterboxd. The average is 3.9, which is a pretty high average. So I guess we might be in the minority. Um, well, what can you do? But uh, outside of that, a lot of masterpieces. Is 2049 a masterpiece, though? I guess we'll be talking about it. Um, this is a movie where it picks up about 30 years after uh, the first Blade Runner movie. And we got this guy, Ryan Gosling, who's literally me. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I like that joke a lot. I'm probably going to say it a couple more times. Uh, he plays a cop named Kay. He is a replicant. They say it right away. Uh, he is out kind of finding all the old replicants. It's his job to find all the older models and retire them, a.k.a. uh, kill them. And while he's out uh, collecting Dave Bautista in a very good role, where he's a good actor, um, he stumbles upon a tree 
that has a little flower growing out of it. And he's like, well, what the hell is this? A flower way out here in the, uh, the post-apocalypse. This is crazy. And it turns out there's some bones buried underneath this tree. The bones turn out to be uh, Rachel from the first Blade Runner movie, uh, Sean Young. They're her bones. And it turns out she died during childbirth. So that means that a replicant, which is kind of a robot, sort of a clone robot, they never really go into it, but they're biomechanical in some way. Well, it's interesting because we, we see in this movie that they definitely age. Like Batista's character is kind of an older man. And I think the presumption is that he used to be a, a much younger man when he was like part of whatever military ops or, or whatever. And they seem to have mm-hmm. blood, right? They bleed yeah. traditional human blood. And it seems like they can be killed a lot of times, you know, via the same methods that would kill people drowning or bludgeoning things like this. So it's yeah. weird. Yeah. Well, some of them age, uh, the ones from the first movie, they would only live for like five years and then they would die. So they were like always, and then they were born as adults. So they had a very finite lifespan. And now, yeah, the newer models, uh, they, they do age and they don't have the limits on their lives. Like they just age, um, you know, as you would, I guess. So, which I, I don't know that that's an upgrade. Like, I don't know why you would want that for the new line of Nexus nines or whatever. Like, wouldn't it be better that if you, you built a robot to go fight a war that he was always in fighting shape and not getting old and having bad knees or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, I guess, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. They don't go into a, a lot of the stuff is like really like kind of in between the lines. And there are also three short films that came out before this that kind of explain some of this backstory stuff too. Um, but yeah. And then they also like once these new, I think nine is maybe the model they're up to. Um, Nexus nine is like, once they start feeling emotions, they get retired as well. So it does seem weird that they would let them live longer when they're still getting killed the same way. But, um, but yeah, so that's Kay's job. He, he tracks down all the old unaccounted for replicants and kills them, uh, which there are a lot because, and this is more of that kind of unexplained background that is explained in some of the short films. A couple of years ago, like 20 years ago, there was a big war where the replicants, uh, they they rose up and they did something that nuked all digital information. So the whereabouts of a lot of these replicants is sort of lost to time because because of that. So, <clears throat> um, but Kay discovers that this one, this replicant, uh, gave birth to a to a baby, and that is news that will uh, shake up the world. As up to this point, people thought that they could not have babies. Um. And at the same time, we've got this man, Jared Leto, who plays Neander Wallace, who is also looking for uh, a replicant that can have a baby. He's the new guy that is making the replicants. And he wants more slaves to go out there and colonize more worlds so he can get richer. And so it would be faster for him if they could just have babies amongst themselves rather than him having having to make them. So that's why him and his sidekick... um, whose name is love, I believe is, uh, they're also looking for this baby. 
Um, let's see. There's so much in this movie. It's a very long movie and very dense. So it's a very hard plot uh, to, to pull together. Uh, then it's also very vague, the plot. Yeah, so. it's, it's dense and it's not dense. It's like there's a, it feels like there's a lot of stuff happening, but none of it's happening on screen or, you know, in a way that is conveyed to you. Like it's, there's a lot of shit happening just kind of between the lines, I guess, you know, because this movie will just mm-hmm. be like silent for like three or four minutes stretches. Like Ryan Gosling just walks through the desert alone or whatever. But you presume yeah. at that same point in time that there's a whole bunch of shit going on that is important. And you wish you knew maybe a little more about. Yeah. I think, yeah, to, to a large degree, I think this movie is just very, you know, it's, Denis Villeneuve, he doesn't want to spell everything out, but I also think that it's also like a messy, muddy sort of a script where maybe some of the stuff that they did want to spell out just didn't get spelled out as well. So it's sort of hard to to gauge what is exactly what. Um, but Kay is um, in a relationship with Anna de Armas, who plays Joy, who is a holographic AI, which I think is really cool. It adds this whole other level. Like, there's so much like cool politics and you know um stuff in this world where like you've got the real humans and then you've got the replicants and the newer replicants look down on older replicants um like k at one point talks about how like batista i forget exactly what he says but he like looks down on him like he isn't real because he's an older model and um, some of the other replicants look down on Joy because she's not a replicant. She's just like this holographic um, AI. And so like there's all this like weird like politics stuff. And, I, and like humans look down on all of them. Like it's really cool and raises a lot of questions about like what exactly is a human. Um, so I like, I like her and I like their relationship. Um, at some point, through his investigation to find this kid, he finds uh, Rick Deckard from the original movie, played by Harrison Ford, who's living in Vegas, which makes this kind of the closest we'll ever get to a Fallout New Vegas uh, movie. And it's very Fallout New Vegasy. Um, I really like the scene where he confronts Deckard in Vegas. It's like they're in a casino, like in a showroom. And some of the holographs, like are like these cool like holographic images are popping up, like Elvis and Marilyn Monroe, and like the sound design is is like really amazing. And they're having this fight, and it's like it'll go from being silent to being super loud, and it'll go from being very like nothing's going on in the frame to all of a sudden there's like Elvis and go go dancers everywhere. It's probably my favorite part in the movie. Um. Although I don't think this movie needs Harrison Ford at all, but it's kind of fan servicey to to have him here. Um, and then I don't know. I guess we'll spoil the rest of it from there. But he he's looking for this baby. He teams up with Rick Deckard to to find the baby. Who obviously Rick Deckard's the dad. Um, this has a good cast. Jared Leto in possibly his only good role ever. I feel. Um, although the director wanted David Bowie to play that role, but he died like right before filming. So he couldn't, Yeah, um, which is very sad because Bowie would have been really good at that. Uh, we've also got David Dust Malchian from Twin Peaks season three as Coco. Uh, so that's your David Lynch, uh, connection there. Um, 
<laughs> I love this movie. I don't know. There's like so much here to talk about. So I, I don't know. We can get into like other details and stuff, but um, I love this movie. I want, I like it even like every, more, the more and more I watch it, the more and more I like it and the more and more I like catch in it that I do like. Um, the one thing I used to hate about this was Ryan Gosling's performance. Oh, really? Because we like, well, the movie tells you that the newest replicants, he's the newest version, like that they don't, they can't rebel. They can't say no to humans. They don't have emotions. And so I always wondered like, cause his character like has these fits where he gets very emotional. Um, cause he, he wants to be the, the child of Rick Deckard and Rachel from the first one. And he thinks he is the child. And so he gets very emotional about this. And I was like, why is he playing it this way? Like, why is he playing it that this guy is very emotional when we're told by the movie that he is programmed to not have emotions? But I, for whatever reason, and it may be just because I don't like Ryan Gosling to begin with, like, I just never put it together that the movie is lying. Like, they do this test with the replicants, like this baseline emotional test. Um, a couple times during the movie. And at one point he like loses the test and if he fails it showing that he does have these emotions and it's like, yeah, like the movie and the, like Neander Wallace is telling you that these guys don't have emotions, but they obviously do because that's why this test exists. And that's like one of those examples of like very big plot points being in this that like just are never explained. So yeah, like these replicants are constantly being checked for emotions. And if they fail the test then they're killed, so they do have emotions. Like it makes total sense that he has these emotions. Like, I don't know. I just never got that before until this time, oddly enough. So uh, the one thing I didn't like about this, I like now. And I think, I think his performance makes sense. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I just, there's a lot to talk about here. I love this movie. What do you think about this movie, Sean Byron? You're, you're like an, an OG Blades Runner man, right? Yeah, yeah. I've loved the original for a long time. You know, it's a movie that I rented on videotape a lot as a kid and just kind of fell in love with it. And so I was really hyped when this came out. You know, it's a movie that was kind of rumored for a long time and it felt like maybe it would never happen. And then when it finally did hit theaters, I think just the, the shock of it being real alone was enough to kind of like uh, drive my excitement level uh, through the roof. I, I was just like really thrilled that like, hey, they actually made this movie. It's it's finally a reality, you know, a, a relatively big budget sequel to a, I mean, I know that Blade Runner is like critically well loved, but it didn't make a bunch of money at the time and didn't mm-hmm. necessarily seem like a commercial prospect, you know, uh, especially at a point in time, 2017, when like Marvel movies were really dominating the box office to like, invest this much money in something else that was, um, you know, pretty different from those. So it it seemed like it would never happen. And and so, you know, I was just thrilled by that. And um, I liked the casting of of Ryan Gosling because he kind of seems like a robot, you know, and he's kind of got that Harrison Ford thing where he can be, you know, I I guess stoic is kind of the nice way to put it. Um, But um, seemed like, you know, he would work well in this. Um, And, uh, I loved it when I saw this in theaters. I, I saw it twice in theaters, um, but have not gone back to see it at home. So I was excited that you picked it. I was I was excited that you had given me a Blu-ray copy of this movie months <laughs> prior when we had our rendezvous in the desert. 
Um, I, I love this movie so much that I bought it on Blu-ray and then ended up buying it again because I'm just always thinking about it. So one day I was like, man, I got to buy this movie. I And I, I already had it on my shelf. So I was like, well, Sean Byron can have it because I know I'm going to pick it on the show one day. And I'm, I'm glad to have it on my shelf because this is a movie that I think if you want to – uh, test out your your home theater setup. Like this is maybe the ideal movie. Like you, you want to have this on disc. You don't want to be streaming this movie where you're going to get all kinds of weird compression and weird pixels showing up in these sweeping vistas. Uh, you need that real Blu-ray quality. And, and so I, you know, I was glad mm-hmm. to have it because uh, this is a great looking movie. I think that's probably the most impressive thing about this movie is how great it looks. Uh, This was Mm -hmm. shot by one of the greatest living DPs, Roger Deakins, who also did like No Country for Old Men and The Big Lebowski and a whole bunch of great stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I love all the visual references to the original movie in this, you know, the way that they shot things in terms of like certain angles that they picked, but also in terms of the set designs, like there's a lot of references, like, you know, in uh, the city scenes have got those big, Pan Am advertisements and big Atari advertisements and all these mm-hmm. kinds of fan servicey things, you know, the, um, the use of that floating water type of lighting, uh, inside of the Wallace corporation. That's very reminiscent of how they lit the Tyrell corporation. Um, mm-hmm. all that stuff looks great. And, you know, it was kind of interesting to, to rewatch this after having seen Dune because in some ways the look is similar, you know, all of this low contrast stuff in this movie, it's more like you got this kind of low contrast blue gray stuff in the street scenes, which I think looks pretty good. And then you got Mm -hmm. like low contrast, like orange gray in like the desert scenes, which I think looks great. Yeah. You know, like those, those shots of Ryan Gosling just walking through the desert where it's, just him and like a cloud of orange. Like I fucking love that stuff. Yeah. But then in Dune, it's like, okay, we're going to do a similar thing. It's going to be really low contrast, grayish and yellowish. But for whatever reason in that movie, I just thought it looked like garbage. Um, I don't know if, you know, Denis just tried to push, you know, that look too far into, you know, hazy town this, you know, kind of low contrast look. Um, Or if, you know, just the DP that he hired for that was not up to the task. It it does make me wonder if Roger Deakins had worked on Dune instead of the guy that shot Snow White and the Huntsman, if maybe (laughs) I might like that movie a lot more. Um, Yeah. Also, most of Dune takes place just like in the same setting where it's like that beige, sandy stuff going on in here. Like he goes to Vegas and it's all bright orange and then they are in LA where it's like dark and moody and neon. And then they go to San Diego, which is like this big brown, rusty uh, landfill. So like they're going around to different locales that have different color palettes. So that also helps, I think, break it up and not be monotonous the way the Dune is. Yeah, well, and and they're set dressing. Like there's things in these rooms versus like Dune there's so many scenes set in rooms that are just completely unadorned, like like just a big mm-hmm. empty room. And it's like, I don't, I don't know. Is that cool? And it doesn't look that cool to me. Um, all that said, you know, I, while I think that this movie is still a very good watch, I do think it has aged a little bit since the last time I saw it. Like, I, I think it's probably not quite as unique looking now as it was 
six years ago. And, you know, that's not really their fault, but I do feel like almost everything in science fiction that came out after this is stolen visual elements from it. Even things like severance. I feel like a lot of their shots look kind of like shots in this. And Mm -hmm. so it doesn't really strike you in that kind of wow factor way as much anymore, although it still does look great. Um, I think this is also maybe the first time that I ever saw a CGI de-aged actor in a movie. And at the time, I don't think that I realized how angry I should be about that. You Um, mean uh, Sean Young? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, yeah, I, I definitely, yeah, this is probably early on in that. I think that I was thinking about this. Like usually I, Sometimes I don't like it. Like sometimes it actually looks good. In some of the Marvel movies, it looks good. Like Kurt Russell being de-aged in Guardians looks good. But in the Star Wars movies, for whatever reason, it looks really bad. And I just watched that new Indiana Jones movie and it looks bad there. Yeah, it's so bad but, there. Yeah. But I think it's interesting in this one because it's they're kind of using the medium as as a story element. Like because the whole thing of her being in this movie is that Neander Wallace like creates this new replicant to give to Deckard to be like, Hey, you know, you're this girl you loved is dead. I'll give you a new one. And so us looking at like this de-aged person that we liked 30 years ago in the original Blade Runner, it's like, we're like, because they're using that technology, it's like, it's doing to the audience what it's doing to the character of Deckard. So yeah, I think this is like maybe the only movie where I can get away with that because it's doing something interesting with it. I think that that may be partially true. And, and you know, the fact that at the end of the scene, Deckard is as dissatisfied with the simulacrum as I am, you know, I, I think also mm-hmm. helps. And they also, they kind of set it up earlier in the movie where they do the thing with the, the hooker and, and the hologram getting together and kind of, co-mingling into one person. Cause I guess that is how they achieve this effect effectively is that they had a younger actress in place, you know, acting her best to kind of emulate how Sean Young might move and, and speak. And then they like CGI Sean Young's actual face. I think from the original movies, I don't think it was something new that they shot, but CGI her likeness on top of this new actress's face. And it does actually look to me better than, uh, Luke Skywalker or Grand Moff Tarkin or uh, Indiana mm-hmm. Jones. Yeah, but still, it looks I mean, really good. It it's it's pretty believable. Like you would think that maybe they just like used actual footage from the original or something because it it looks yeah. like her. Like it's it's hard to tell that it's not just Sean Young from 1984 or whatever. It's pretty brief, and and that's probably you know. Also, yeah. one of the reasons why it, it, you know, they're able to pull it off so well. But yeah, I mean, it's not the worst thing. Just as a grandpa, it does kind of make me a little bit grumpy. Um, Jared Leto, I also feel like annoys me more now than he did in 2017. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, especially, you know, after having read that, you know, David Bowie was, was supposed to have this part initially. But man, the guy is just so unlikable. And I, I will never understand how he keeps getting work. He's he's in big movies like every year, it seems like, and I'm not sure who likes this guy, but I guess somebody does. Um, But yeah, I mean, overall, I guess my reaction to this movie is I still really enjoy it. I think it's a very fun watch. The action scenes are 
pretty action packed and, and enjoyable. And then kind of the more, um, you know, introspective stuff in between those action scenes is also pretty interesting. But if I am being honest, like almost all of my favorite parts of this movie are when it's like kind of just directly aping the original, like my favorite things about this are like the way that it's shot, like those, those speeder car scenes or, or whatever, you know, like where the car is mm-hmm. floating through uh, post-apocalyptic Southern California the way that those evoke the original movie connects with me. The way that the music is basically a, a kind of a carbon copy clone of the Vangelis score that appeals to me. Um, just being in this world again appeals to me, but how much credit do I give to Denis for that? I mean, I guess I do give credit because it did seem fairly impossible that this would get made. And I'm very appreciative that it got made, but at the same time, kind of just standing on the shoulders of a prior film. Like most of what I like about this is just somebody else's stuff that you kind of just are rehashing. So I don't know. I mean, I'm a little bit less enthused about it now than I was when I saw it theatrically. It could also just be that like the theatrical experience for this movie is fucking incredible. And Mm -hmm. as decent as my TV is at home, it's not the same thing. I would still go out to see this again in a theater for sure. Um, and yeah, overall it's, it's definitely, I mean, if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's, it's a, it's a, you know, distinct movie and uh, a very artfully made movie that, you know, typically doesn't see this kind of a budget. So I like it, but if I really break it down, like if you compare like the street scenes in this to the street scenes, from the original, I mean, they don't, they don't even look nearly as good in this as they did 35 years ago. And with all the progress we've made, you, you would think that we could make things look cooler, but I guess we can't, I guess, I guess culture really did peak in the 1980s. <laughs> That's possible. Um, I don't really like that original. So I don't know. I think this movie is, I think this movie is better because Deckard is like a dork that I don't like. And, <laughs> and I don't know. I just hate Ridley Scott. So you didn't grow up as a, as a Harrison Ford fan really. Right. That is correct. Yeah. I, I don't think that, that might be a like factor him. for me of, of like, I, you know, like some of the first movies that I remember seeing are like the star Wars movies and the Indiana Jones movies. And I, and I love that dude. And so when I was just a little bit older and I got into Blade Runner, I, I think I just had a, a soft spot for this cranky old Harrison Ford. Yeah, that's understandable. I've, yeah, I've never really been a big fan of his. I don't think he's that good of an actor. He's like fine here, I guess. Um, this may be like, yeah, the only time I've ever liked him as an actor. Um, yeah, he, he's not a good actor, but he's handsome. He is, yeah, he's very handsome. You can't deny that. I, I would never try to deny that. He is handsome. Um, but, but yeah, some of the callbacks to the original, I think are fun, even though I don't like the original, like some of the stuff is fun. Like, um, like there's a character that dies near the end and he's being snowed on sort of like the rain with what's his name? Roy Batty. Um, yeah. In the first yeah, And they one. play like the, the tears in the rain kind of Angelus music. I think even during that scene. Yeah, yeah, and then like Joy, she gets like a a sort of 
a real body like that lets her go outside of Kay's apartment. And the first thing she wants to do when, once she sort of realizes that she's quote unquote real is go up to the, the rooftop in the rain, uh, kind of, again, evoking that Roy Batty scene. Um, there's so also that, I don't, there's that scene in this where they go visit the, um, the really skinny guy from the curse. You know, that guy, he shows up in this, which I was surprised to see him, but that scene is pretty much exactly like the scene where they go to visit James Hong about the eyeballs in the original. Oh yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And then they, they visit Edward James almost who gives them more, uh, origami animals. So even though I don't like that original, I like when this movie harkens back to that, like to the original, cause there's stuff about the original. I, I do like mostly regular Hauer. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but th- yeah, this movie doesn't go out of its way to tell you that Deckard is a replicant, thereby ruining the entire fucking story of the original. So <laughs> maybe that's why I like it. Um, but we can agree that Deckard is a replicant, both in the original and in this movie, right? No, most certainly not. Neither one. Are you, are you fucking serious, dude? That ruin? What are you talking about? You think he's a replicant? Of course he's a replicant. That's the dramatic irony, is that he's killing his own kind. No, the irony is that you have a broken down human who feels no emotions and is robotically going around doing menial jobs and an actual robot who feels alive. That's the irony. I, th- I think humans becoming broken down is just the normal course of action to be expected. I don't know that there's much ironic about that. Well, tell that to Roy Batty, who feels alive and will feel alive for his entire life. Yeah, I guess so. All four years of it. Yeah. But yeah, they broached the the topic in this movie, but they don't really say either way what's what, but... Uh, Harrison Ford does get the shit kicked out of him by Kay at one point. And if he was a replicant, I feel like that wouldn't have happened. But Well, he was a much older model. Well, true. True. And he's aged for some dumb reason. <laughs> well, yeah, wouldn't that be? Well, yeah, I guess maybe his model was one of the ones that could age. But if he yeah. is a replicant. I think but... he's, he's supposed to be a Nexus 7, the same model as Rachel. Yeah. But, so, yeah, but he knows? would be able to age. But. Well, I, uh, oh, one thing, another thing in this is that they meet somebody who like creates memories, which a is very cool. Cause it's sort of, uh, total recally. Um, and B, I feel like that's much like AI holograms. I feel like that's something that's probably going to be pretty real in the next few years, being able to just go just go to a place and a doctor will implant some memories and then you'll be on your way and have all these like cool, cool memories. I feel like that's, that's going to happen at some point. Um, well, I think that's like total recall too, right? Yeah. Yeah. That Philip K. Dick, he was on top of everything. He was predicting it all. Um, so yeah, well, I guess that wraps it up for, for the Blade Runner 2049, a masterpiece of a film. Um, next week we're going to be doing some stuff. You're going to be gone. And then the week after that, we're going to be hanging out with Kevin. But then the week after that, you get to pick a movie. Do you want to say what your movie for three weeks from now, two weeks from now is now, or do you want to save it up? 
Let's save it up, just because I doubt that I will remember otherwise, and I'll have to go back and listen to the end of this episode to find out what I had said, <laughs> and that seems like too much effort, so okay. <laughs> why don't I just announce it in a couple of weeks when we're talking with Kevin? Okay, that's a good plan. Um, in the meantime, then, next week, you're going to be gone. I'm going to be here. I'm going to take advantage of Sci-Fi February. And the fact that you won't yell at me and punch me by picking a Star Trek movie. <laughs> so oh. uh, me and friend of the show, Baby Legs, Baby Legs Eric from Santa Cruz Bikes. We all know him. He gets money. We see him. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's a nice guy and he loves Star Trek. And so he's going to join me to talk about Star Trek. Um, first Contact, which is like the seventh star trek movie maybe it's the second uh next generation one it's the one with the borg that's the one we're watching oh so, my man baby legs can't work the phone <laughs> i'm gonna need to cue that cue that up in case uh we have technical issues next week mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah star trek first contact uh let's see it's out there. first contact best contact that's what i've always said well spoiler alert this is by far my favorite star trek movie so uh yeah definitely the best contact exciting well congratulations i'm sure that you will enjoy that and i, I might even listen i might even tune in learn a thing or two about star trek you know i think that you could let these uh you know you could learn a lot from these star treks if you just let them into your heart you know, I think you would love them. I don't know why okay. you're so opposed. You know what? I think you might be right. I might be turning over a new leaf in 2024. I'm going to stop being the world's number one freaky links authority. I'm going to be a Trexman. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. Um. All right. Well, until then, join the Discord. Buy your tickets to the Horror Hound Convention March 22nd through 24th in Cincinnati. Um, you know, leave us some voicemails, call us up, text us, all that kind of stuff. Uh, oh, go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash junk food dinner. Uh, donate a few dollars and you can listen to like hundreds of podcasts, dozens of which are about Twin Peaks. I know all you sons of bitches like Twin Peaks because I've been talking shit about David Lynch on this show for 13 years and everybody's like, oh, Parker, what are you talking about? Well, now's your chance to hear me talk about how great David Lynch is. Uh, it's behind fucking the absurd. It is absurd. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? But, you know, that's just my style. I'm very unique in the way that I like David Lynch. He's got his own M.O. Modus operandi. Ha! <laughs> it's my favorite drop and it's the only one I've got queued up just let me have it it's a good drop it's my favorite because it's my man David Lynch uh, my favorite director so wow you said it <laughs> don't get a drop of that uh, well alright that's the end of the show mm-hmm. uh, we'll see you next week uh, this is Parker for Sean saying thanks for having fun. You dirty motherfucker.